listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. I am so looking forward to kicking off this brand new series for us called Follow. And for the next three weeks, um, we're going to be in this series, and we're going to be talking about what you probably assumed we'd be talking about with the title. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the idea of following is such a prevalent idea in our culture today, because for the last 10, 15 years, really, social media and technology really has redefined what it means to follow or what to follow, Right? I mean, over the past decade, the word follow has really just begun to take different types of meanings, and it's really affecting relationships and and the significance of things that are happening in our world. It's changing the landscape of our connections and our friendships. And so, I mean, if you think about it, think about it. Uh, Social media and technology and this idea of kind of what they would say is follow uh, really messes with our social interactions. Because you don't have to look, but like 10, 15 years ago, if you would have walked up to somebody and said, hey, do you follow that person? Or do you follow me? I mean, they would be like, uh, what? All right? They they didn't have any of that language back then. Okay? It would have been interesting. And even kind of now, like it affects our social interaction and a little bit of our our dating life, right? Because a lot of you in the room, uh, some of you in the room have been in relationships, okay? You ask somebody out, they said yes, you begin to date, and then for some of you, tragically, you went through a breakup. And then you had to go through the painstakingly awkward conversation of like, it's not me, it's you. Just kidding, that's a joke. Um... But no, for real, like, hey, you know, it's not working out. I just, I, I don't think we can date anymore. And it's, and it's hard and it's painful and it's confusing, right? And then you have to go, and for some of you, you know, you have to unfollow that person. And it's like a second breakup. And who wants to go through that? But again, again, this idea of, of followership through social media and technology, it's, it's messing with our social interaction. It also kind of pays attention to the fact like we, we kind of give credence to who we follow or who follows us. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where if you are on the interwebs and if you, maybe you've got the, uh, the gram up and you're like, oh, I'll follow them. And you realize, wait a second, this person doesn't follow me. And you're like, how, I, how dare they not follow me? I'm a great follow, you know? And you're like, you, you start to kind of feel that a little bit, like, well, why, why doesn't somebody follow me? Like, I follow them. They're great. I like them. They not like me. And again, sometimes that actually happens because it's a big deal who we follow and who we don't. But here's something else that I've, that I've also noticed, is that in our culture today, um, our culture has made the concept of following very, very fluid, constantly changing based on our preferences, our seasons of life, and our friend groups, okay? It's kind of ebb and flow. Like, we can kind of choose to follow or choose to unfollow anybody at any time, right? We can choose to follow somebody for a certain season and then unfollow them for the next. And there's all sorts of reasons why we follow people, right, or or organizations. We might follow people for fun. You might follow people because Dude, they are hilarious. I love the the memes that they put up. I love the videos that they put up. I follow them because they make me laugh. It's fun. They're a fun follow. 
And maybe for some of you, you follow people because of like, hey, you just, you just kind of like that connection, right? Like you, maybe they're in your you know, friend group or maybe they're a part of your small group if you're in one. Maybe they're in your family. So you follow them because you're in their world and you want to stay in their world. Maybe for some of you, you follow different things because you just want to stay in touch with something, okay? You, you, you're like, hey, I just want to keep in the know with what's going on in the world. So maybe you follow a news outlet. Or like some of you, you're into sports and you don't have time to watch SportsCenter. So maybe you watch or, or, or you follow ESPN because you're just like, I've got to get my, my sports drip. There's all sorts of reasons why we follow things. But here's the thing. We follow people at a distance. And it's really easy to do that. Because it's not a massive commitment. So it's just as easy to unfollow somebody as it is to follow somebody. But here's the crazy thing about this, this language is I find it so fascinating that, again, right now in our current culture, it's using this language as follow to redefine it in certain ways. But yet it is the same word, the same exact word used for the invitation that Jesus offers. And I know you've probably heard it before, or maybe you, you know, you, you've heard somebody else talk about it before, but it's like, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Or he or she is a follower of Jesus. But something that I've noticed, and that I've been paying attention you know, in my age, and I'm not super old, but something I think if, if somebody asked me, hey, is something that you've kind of been noticing in the evangelical landscape around this idea of followership, and that is following Jesus has turned into more of a belief statement than a this is how I actually live my life statement. And the culture that we're, that we're in, it's, it's, again, following is so fluid in nature, but the concrete nature of actually physically following Jesus, Jesus, I feel like, is getting easily lost. Because when it comes to following Jesus, our world has taught us that, hey, it's okay. It's okay to kind of follow at a distance. It's okay to sometimes be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus when it's comfortable for me. I'm going to follow him during this period of my life, and then I'm going to unfollow him during my college years because I'm going to partay, and I don't want to follow him, and I don't want to do that stuff because he's just going to X, Y, and Z, whatever. And then you're like, but hey, I'm going to follow him back when I grow up and I get 30 and I get serious about things. Because it's easy to do that, right? You can, you can literally just follow Jesus merely as a belief statement and not an action that follows your life. And so what I want to attempt to do, especially the start of tonight, is I want to try to go back to the first century, okay, for us to really look at the roots of follow. Because in our world today, I believe, honestly, that it is attempting to redefine what follow actually is. And so my hope is tonight and for this series, we would recapture the significance of Jesus' invitation to follow. And I think it's important for us to look at the cultural context in the first century Jewish tradition. Now, my, my, I went to the University of Tennessee, and, and sometimes people ask, hey, what were, okay, all right, I didn't see that coming. Um, and sometimes people are like, hey, did you have a favorite professor? Did you have any favorite courses? And honestly, I did have a favorite pro professor. Her name was Gilia Schmidt. She was this phenomenal old Jewish woman. And sometimes in this one class right after lunch, I would fall asleep in the front row and I literally, I still 
have a little PTSD because I would fall asleep. And she would come, and this is like a class of like 50 people, and she would smack my desk. Ryan! Ryan! In the whole, in front of the whole class. But she honestly, she taught me so much about the Jewish culture. Part of our class assignment was we had to attend synagogue uh, for that whole semester. I mean, it, it was wild. I learned so much. And it was honestly kind of during that season when I realized a few things that I want to share uh, tonight, that rabbis were honestly the most highly esteemed people during that time. They were the who's of the who's, okay? Top-notch, everybody wanted to be like them. Everybody wanted to follow them. So rabbis were a huge deal. So studying under a rabbi then was a massive deal. Okay, and it was reserved for the best of the best because what they did is they kind of had this, um, they had this tiered educational system where they would try to weed out those who they felt like couldn't make it as a rabbi. All right, I don't know if you've ever taken any weed out courses um, in school. I've had a couple of professors like first out of, sentence out of their mouth, this is a weed out course. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm not going to survive it. But that's what the system they had for a rabbi. And so basically, rabbis would come along and try to look and separate the ordinary away from the extraordinary, the educated away from the uneducated, so that they can look and be like, hey, you know what? That's the dude I'm looking for. That's the dude who I think can, is going to make it and become great. So following a rabbi was of the highest honor back then. And it was super, honestly, it was very an honor thing too, even for the parents if a dude would get chosen to actually follow a rabbi. And some of you can relate to that. Some of you, your parents in elementary school, middle school, high school, they're so proud of you that they throw that bumper sticker on the back of the minivan because they're, they're just proud of having an honor student, right? We've all seen those bumper stickers. Same exact idea to where the parents, again, they know what big of a deal this is. So to follow a rabbi was everything, but it was reserved for the elite, the Harvard boys of the day, the Ivy League peeps. And suddenly Jesus comes on the scene and begins to teach in a way, and he is a rabbi worth following, but the way that he starts to call his disciples takes on a whole new level of meaning. And I want, us, I want us to look at that for a little bit. And some of this might be review for some of you, but I, wanna, I want you to look at it through the context that we're talking about. So we're going to put all the verses on the screen. If you're here for the first time, we will put the Bible verses on these screens. I would encourage you, again, when you come to TLR, hey, bring your Bibles. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. If you want to hang out in the YouVersion app, hey, you do you, okay? But we're always going to put it on the screen. So check this out in Matthew this is what Jesus starts doing. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. So we got, you know, brother number one, Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Not a detail that needs to be overlooked. He says, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once. Everybody say at once. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Keeps going. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. 
They were in a boat with their father. Again, another detail, not to look, be overlooked. Father, son, dudes hanging out, fishing business, family business, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boats and their father and followed him. Jesus looked at these ordinary, uneducated fishermen and invited them to follow him. And culturally, the fact that Peter, Andrew, and James, and John were fishermen means that they could not hack it in rabbi school. And in fact, we're even, we could even know that somewhere along the line, a rabbi just said, hey, not going to work out for you. They were rejects of another rabbi, but yet Jesus looked at these ordinary, uneducated fishermen and said, hey, you know what? You can actually follow. And he keeps doing this. So a little while later, we pick up a few verses later, Jesus comes across this other guy, Matthew. He says, hey, Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up. And followed him. And so here's the deal. We, we've talked about this before. I don't want us to run past the tax collector idea. Um, some of you might know this, but tax collectors back then, worst of the worst. Morally corrupt. Basically, they were Jewish people stealing money from their own people. Because what they would go is they'd go around the communities and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, taxes are due. Um, and so they're like, oh, yeah, sure, I only owe $50. And be like, oh, actually, you know what, it's 100 And so they'd take the 50 and they would skim off the top. And they would just basically steal from their people. And no one would challenge it because these tax collectors were backed by the power of Rome. And no one wanted to upset the apple cart. That was Rome. And so, again, they were hated. They were notorious. And yet Jesus looks at this tax collector and invites them to follow. And when you put all of that in, honestly, in the context of what was going on in that culture at that time, truthfully, it is mind-boggling. And I don't know if you've ever really wondered about that, or, hey, yeah, it's, you know, hey, I do kind of remember this story, and did they really drop everything that they were doing to follow Jesus? The answer is yeah, but I don't, I don't know if you've ever wondered about that. Have you ever wondered why Matthew didn't think twice and got up and followed? Have you ever wondered why Peter and Andrew immediately dropped their nets? Have you ever wondered why James and John immediately left their boat and their dad to follow Jesus? I always thought, you know, when I read this, and I've read this a few times, that the gospel writers, they just left some of the, the legitimate questions that I would have had or they would have had. So the writers are just kind of minimalist. They just left out the details. Again, kind of the questions. You know, like, again, if, if I was there and, and Jesus said, come follow me, you know, I'm not sure I would do that right away. I'd probably like, okay, yeah, yeah, hold on a second. You know, pump the brakes. Um, few questions, Jesus. Um, where are we going? Um, what's the climate like? Seasonal allergies. Um, hey, is this, I mean, I'm, I'll follow. Yeah, cool. But um, is, it a, is it a paid gig, volunteer gig? Um, do I get the weekends off? Like, hey, help me out here. Like, Honestly, they didn't do any of that. They dropped everything they had, left everything they knew because there was no greater honor that they could aspire to attain than to follow a rabbi. Following Jesus wasn't a have to. 
It was a get to. So I don't want us, again, to to miss the significance of all that's going on here. I mean, again, he's looking at these these fishermen. He's looking at this tax collector, and he's looking at basically the rejects from the other rabbis. He's looking at people who would say, hey, no, they're ordinary. Hey, no, they're lame. He's looking at these people and saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to invite you to follow me, and I think you're going to be a world changer. And he's the opportunity to show the world that the invitation to follow is for everyone. And so one thing I don't want you to miss, and if you're here tonight, I don't want you to miss this, that no matter who you are or no matter what you think about yourself, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what your present looks like, no matter what you think of yourself, no matter what you think God might think of yourself, no matter what your story is, no matter what you've done, Jesus is offering an invitation to follow him. But Ryan, I, okay, that's great, but, but don't I kind of have to clean up some things first? I mean, you know, you don't really know what's going on in my world. I mean, I, I don't, don't I have to change some stuff in my life? No. And I, I love what our senior pastor, Andy, says. He, he says this over and over again, but, but I love how he says it. He says, change is not a prerequisite to following Jesus. Change is a result of following Jesus. And those young men following rabbis, they they got that, and they would endeavor to imitate every single movement and word their rabbis would do, and honestly, change was the result. One of the things I love and and I remember learning about, um, again, uh, in one of Gilia Schmidt's classes, is she talked about this pretty common blessing or phrase that was used during that time in the first century. And I think this blessing is fantastic. It's just like, man, this is one of the best ways they could have affirmed, could have publicly encouraged somebody. The blessing was this. Hey, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, meaning that you would be following so closely to your rabbi, him in front of you, that literally the dust and the dirt from his sandals or feet would kick up on you. That's how close that they thought, man, that's how close you should be. So if you commit your life to following Jesus, it will change you. It will transform you. And you'll start to look and to live and to love like you never have. And the difference will be the result in your life. The difference will be that you're following Jesus. And I know for some of you in the room, because I I know several of you in the room, and conversations that I've had with a lot of you are like, yeah, but I'm, I'm just, I'm still in this young age and I don't, I don't feel like I have all the gifts that I need to have to make a difference in the world. I mean, I look at you or I look at some other people that sometimes get up on stage or, and I'm just like, man, they're, they're world changers. I don't know if I can do anything kind of major when I'm in college. Well, that, that's just simply not the truth. In fact, we get, we get another window into what's going on in Peter and John's story in the book of Acts, this is, this is an awesome verse. And I, I, I want us to really hear this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, again, these people, plain people, as we'll see, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. This is so powerful. And this is so special 
okay, because there was nothing special about these guys except the fact that they had been with Jesus and it left people astonished. Peter and John were covered in the dust. And so I, I want to ask you for a second. It says they took note. Will people take note of your life? Think about that. Will people take note of your life? Will people take note of the way you love because you've been with Jesus? Will people take note of the way that you forgive of the way that you freely offer grace, of the way that you suspend judgment because of the way you've been with Jesus? Will people take note of the courage that you have, the purpose that you walk in because you've been with Jesus? Will people take note, fellas, fellas, will people take note of the ways that you honor and respect the women in your life because of spending time with Jesus. Jesus invites you and me to follow so closely that we'll be covered in the dust. And honestly, following Jesus will lead to the change that I know all of you or a lot of you want to experience and the, the, the change that you need and hope to see in your life, but that change is not free. You see, Jesus was not your typical rabbi. And Jesus didn't want you to kind of go through this typical uh, discipleship program. The things and the requests and the desires of Jesus for those men and women back then, it's the same requests and the desires that he has for you and for me. Yes, there is no prerequisite to follow Jesus. Yes, following Jesus will change you, but also following Jesus will cost you. And honestly, we can't talk about following Jesus and it changing us without talking about the reality of what following Jesus will cost us. And so we get a glimpse of that even later in the book of Matthew. So we pick this back up a few verses later, a few chapters later, it says this, hey, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And this is when it gets interesting. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. The disciple rebuking the rabbi, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Essentially, Peter going, hold on, no, 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 we don't want you to leave. We don't want you to die. I know what's best for you. We're going to protect you. We're going to make sure it doesn't happen. And then this is what Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's how I think he should say it. Um, I was really excited to do that tonight. Um, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Again, Peter had his in mind what man wanted, what he wanted, not what God wanted. So Jesus then takes the opportunity to show and teach the disciples, to show and teach you and me what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like, what it costs us, to follow Jesus. And he says that in the next verse. 
Jesus says, hey, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, I want to break down a few of these words very quickly. Deny, basically just saying, hey, saying no to you. And a lot of you know this. That is extremely difficult. It's setting down our own wills, our own wants, our own desires, and submitting submitting ourselves wholly and completely to the will of Jesus. And for some of you in the room that you're trying to do that, you get it because as you follow Jesus, you are going to bump up against some conflict to where you want to do what you want to do, but you know, hey, I, I don't think Jesus wants me to do that. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of this tension. And for some of you, it plays out like in finances. It's like, hey, okay, what little I know, I feel like I should be a, what's called a good steward of these resources. But, but yet, you know, like, man, I want to buy this truck. And, but I feel like this truck is way more important than my rent. You know, we kind of, we sometimes make those types of decisions. And it's hard. It's like, well, I, I know I should probably be good with the money that God's given me. But gosh, I want to do this with it. And some of you, you're going you're gonna to graduate, you're going to be offered a pretty sweet job, and here's the salary, and you're like, man, that's a lot of money. I've always wanted to have this money because I want to buy these things and live this way. And then you hear more about that, that job's company, that corporate culture, and it's toxic, and the people there are toxic, and you know these people don't really believe the same things. You're like, oh, well, yeah, I know they're, they're, they're not healthy people, and they're really going to tempt me in some ways. And then you're like, but yeah, but, but that money sounds nice, but I don't know, Jesus, what am I supposed to do? And some of you in this room, and, and I know I've, I've talked with some of you, some of you are like, hey, I think God might be leading me or calling me into full-time ministry, maybe, maybe when I'm done with college. I want to work for a church, or I want to be a missionary, or, or I want to work for a faith-based organization. Well, here's the deal. You know, if you work for a church, you're going to make $100 a year. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But the reality is... Um, it's not a high-paying gig. And so you, some of you, you'll, you'll have to, you'll be faced with that tension of like, well, I'm pretty sure I'm doing my best to follow Jesus and what he wants for my life, but yet I'm looking at my friends and they have a whole lot more money and they've got this house or this place or this car and going on these vacations, but I, I can't afford that. Should I do this and what I want or should I do what God, again, you're going to meet those types of of tensions, and I, th- I think you know that. So denying yourself. And then he says, take up your cross, which is basically just denying yourself for the sake of others. And for Jesus, the cross was the ultimate sign of the obedience to the will of God. Dying yourself for the sake of others. Jesus would soon carry his cross, die on that cross for you, and for me. But he was also preparing a real reality for the folks that was following him closely that they would die for their faith. And all of them except one did. And the one that didn't was just was exiled. So basically, hey, taking up your cross means, hey, I am in no matter what. Every single day, I am in no matter what. So deny, take up your cross, and then follow me. Or, hey, be my disciple. Learn from me. Imitate me. Watch me. Do as I do. 
And folks, I know that for some of you that are trying to do that, you know and, and I know that that is extremely hard. Very hard. And I feel like I can break down for the people on kind of like where they fall and them, those people trying to follow hard after Jesus. I feel like people fall in three categories. And I'm going to put them up here. The first one is curious. Hey, these are people that are like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I kind of like what I'm hearing about Jesus. Um, I don't really know him personally, but man, it, it seems like he has some things there that, that could make my life better. I'm not really sure. Um, I'm not willing to go there yet, but I'm, I'm attracted to his teaching and, and his life, you know, at this point. I'm curious. That's the first. The second would be convinced. Hey, I'm convinced that he is who he says he was. He was the son of God. I'm, I'm convinced in that. I'm convinced that he died for me, that he, that he paid for my sin on the cross, that he, that he rose again. I believe all that. I'm convinced of that is true. And so I've placed my faith in Jesus. That's, that's kind of the convinced category. And then lastly, you have the committed category. And honestly, those are the convinced people who actually take a step to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow Jesus on a daily basis. And here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you this because I believe this to be true. It is in my life, it is in so many people's lives that I get to interact with, and I read all sorts of content as it relates to this type of stuff, but here's the reality, is that most Christians live in the convinced category. Most Christians stay in the convinced stage because they never want to move to the committed category because it just costs too much. It's way too hard. See, following Jesus does cost you something. But I want you to hear tonight that whatever the cost is, it's worth it. And I think for those of you that have small group leaders in the room, they would tell you it's worth it. Those that you know in your life who are trying to follow Jesus, they would tell you, yeah, it does cost some things, but it's absolutely worth it. And Jesus tells us why. Just right around the corner. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life from me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Basically, hey, whoever wants to save their life, yeah, you can try to hold on to your life. You can try to pursue the things that you want. You can chase that money. Okay, you can chase that relationship. You can do whatever you want, whatever experience, whatever fun. Okay, you can say yes to you and only you. But eventually, anything that you might have accumulated will be gone. Any, any fun you might have had will be in the past. Any relationship that you had will be over. And so rather than denying yourself and following Jesus, we go all in on ourselves. But when we do that, there comes to a point where we're, we're going to lose it all. But whoever loses their life for me, whoever surrenders their life to Jesus, whoever wakes up in the morning and says, hey, to the best of my ability, I know I'm going to fall, I know I'm going to sin, but to the best I'm going to do, I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing. I'm going to try to prioritize this relationship with Jesus, and I'm just going to see where it takes me. I'm going to see where it leads me. I'm going to do my best to wake up and live my life to try to say, hey, I'm going I'm to just try to be more of God and less of me, more of Jesus and less of 
of me. And when that happens, you will find the life both now and later. You'll find fulfillment. You'll find peace and purpose and hope. Because following Jesus will cost you something. But not following Jesus will cost you so much more. And I'll tell you again, the cost is so worth it. It's so worth it. And why do I believe that? Because you cannot put a price tag on fulfillment. You cannot put a price tag on redemption. You cannot put a price tag on peace. You cannot put a price tag on forgiveness. You cannot put a price tag on grace. You cannot put a price tag on your soul. And so how I want to end tonight, I, I, I kind of want to challenge you. And I want to talk to kind of two groups of people in the room. Th this is what I want you to do. Okay? The first thing I want you to do is to stay curious. For those of you that maybe have not placed your faith in Jesus, okay, maybe you're just like, ah, I'm, I'm still, you know, like, ah, but I'm curious enough. Hey, here's what I would say. Hey, stay curious. Keep coming to the living room. Definitely hit up uh, TLR often. Listen to this entire series. Ask great questions. Take your doubts your skepticism to friends you can trust. Maybe it's the friend that brought you. Ask and continue to ask these questions. Stay curious. Hey, I would even say, hey, maybe find some, some teaching and some principles that Jesus is saying and put them in play in your life. Because I guarantee you, it will positively change your world. I dare you to do that. If you're like, well, where do I go? Start with the Gospel of Mark, the book of Mark. I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm just asking you to read it. So stay curious. Now I want to talk to those in the room who you would say, I have placed my faith in Jesus. That you would categorically say, yeah, I am a follower of Jesus. So at some point in your life, you said yes to God. And here's what I want for you to do. I want you to get covered in dust. I want you to get covered in dust or get dusty because, again, too many followers of Jesus live in the convinced stage and they do not move on to the committed stage. So, again, I want to lovingly challenge you with a few questions. What areas in your life are you stiff-arming Jesus out of? What areas of your life you know that he's, he's convicting you and he challenged you? You're going to be like, hey, this is a better way. And you're like, oh, not, not right now. Not right now because I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying saying yes to me, but uh, not right now. It's too tough. I don't want to get to that. What in your life have you kept from surrendering to Jesus? And for me, when I was your age, again, I had, I had placed my faith in Jesus and I was doing my best to follow him. I was reading, you know, the Bible, not every single day. Sometimes I would write in my journal and, and I would go to church and I, I was going through all of those motions. And I felt like, yeah, I was doing what I needed to do. But if I were really honest with you, I did not surrender a few things to Jesus. One of which was what I wanted to do with women. And I struggled with lust. But I knew, like, I, I know kind of what you say about what to do in the confines of marriage. But, man, I want to do that 
with a girl. So you can have this part of my life, but what I look at on the internet, what I do with girls, I'm not going to surrender that to you. What are your priorities? What, what priorities in your life need to change? Um, where are you serving? You know, for me, like when I was your age, I was a, I was a consumer. And I think if I was honest, there, there's probably a lot of consumers in the room. You come to the living room, uh, maybe you come to Brownsbridge Church, or you, or you go to another ministry environment, or you go to another church, or you hit up Passion, or you hit up Passion City Church, and all of those things are good. None of those things are wrong. But you might not have any of your faith and your relationship with Jesus putting into action. And so I would just challenge you, hey, where are you serving? Because Jesus obviously served. He came to serve, to give us life away. Where are you giving your life away? Where can you serve? We have a lot of those types of opportunities in this church, but you don't even, I'm not even saying you need to serve here. Go find another church. Go find somewhere else to serve. But I would just challenge you, hey, where are you serving? Are you taking a generous, genuine interest in investing in the lives of the friends in your world who do not know Jesus? And here's the thing that breaks my heart every now and again is that I will bump up against one of you and I'll say, hey, you know, we're in this type of a conversation. Hey, who have you invited recently? Be like, well, all my friends are here. Oh, really? Tell, who are your friends? You know, like whatever. And we're kind of having this conversation. I'm like, oh, all of, your, all of your friends are Christians. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Again, Lauren spoke not too long ago about our inner circle. Those people should be in our inner circle. But again, if you want to follow hard and closely after Jesus, it's hanging out and pursuing and befriending the tax collectors of the world. Okay? And I'm not talking about like, oh, okay, well, I'll invite Charles over. He'll walk into my, you know, dorm, and I'll be like, all right, Charles, let me get you in this Bible. Turn or burn, Charles. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about, hey, Charles, what's going on in your world? What are some things that you believe? Hey, cool. Hey, well, let's hang out. Just having the eyes and the awareness to do that. Okay? And some of you are doing that. So don't hear me say that I think no one is doing it. Some of you are doing that. And fellas, I'm going to get in your business because I have the privilege of knowing a lot of what's going on in our small groups, small group leaders, and I see who's, you know, kind of being invited here. Fellas, the ladies in this room are running laps around you when it comes to inviting people here to the living room. Okay? It's the truth. Again, I sat where you sat. I did the same thing. And just so you know how I take that personally, my wife is running laps around me when it comes to inviting people that live in our neighborhood to church or to something or befriending them, okay? So don't, don't, I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm pointing the finger at me as well. That if there was like six couples that came to Brownsbridge, you know, maybe one of them was because I had, no, all of it is because Ellen is crushing the game and inviting people. Ladies, you're crushing the game. Most of you are. Fellas, I think you got some work to do. You know why I know that? Because I look at our guest experience teams, I look at our campus engagement teams, and the majority of those people are women. I look at the statistics for college-age men and college-age women, and it is staggering how much the women are stepping up and stepping out and serving, and the dudes aren't. So you can be like, dude, hey, pump the brakes. I didn't come here to get a lecture. I'm saying 
fellas, I, I have been where you are, I am where you are, and I would like to lovingly challenge you that if you desire to have an ongoing relationship with Jesus, if you really want to follow and see your life radically change, then I want to encourage you, hey, get in the game. Start inviting people. Start getting out of your comfort zone. Start looking for dudes in your world who don't know God and actually start just befriending them. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm excited to tell you that because I think a lot of you, you will do it. It's hard to hear because I know it costs something. And that's kind of the whole point of this message. So again, if you're in the camp of you following Jesus, I want to just invite you to get covered in the dust. Where do you need to, to deny yourself and choose him? Are you covered in the dust of your rabbi? Are you covered in the dust of your savior? I want you to get covered in the dust. And so before I, before I pray, I just want to say how significant it is to where we're at on this side of history. Because there were men and women who literally gave up everything to follow this guy, Jesus, and they knew really nothing about him. We're on the side of history where we're not following Jesus because it's honorable. We're following Jesus because he is the Savior who conquered the grave. And most incredible movements throughout history, when the central figure dies, the movement dies. But we follow a Savior who did not die. He did die. He rose from the grave. He is alive, and so is the movement. And that is the movement that you are a part of. And so if you want to continue to see God's incredible movement and his kingdom to spread all through the nooks and crannies of UNG and this local area, I would say, hey, it takes us, those who would say, yeah, I'm, I want to follow Jesus. It would require for us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow him.